Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The life of the Old Testament patriarch, Jacob, takes many twists and turns. And ultimately, it leads to one of the strangest episodes in the Bible, which is kind of saying a lot. Jacob wrestles with God. Or to be more precise, Jacob wrestles with Jesus, with God in human form. This wrestling match is no metaphor, of course. It's a literal, physical wrestling, and yet with deep spiritual implications. It was the night before Jacob would face his brother Esau and the 400 armed men that Esau was bringing with him to exact his revenge. As you may recall, the story of these two twin brothers goes all the way back to before they were even born. In a sense, the entire Old Testament is simply a history of one family through whom the Messiah would come. From Adam to Noah, and Noah to Abraham, and his son Isaac, whose wife Rebekah was barren. And yet, after the fervent prayer of Isaac, she conceived twins. Genesis chapter 25 tells us that from the very beginning, these two boys struggled together within her, an ongoing wrestling match, even in the womb. And when they were born, Esau came out first, but his brother Jacob came out with his little fist gripping Esau's little heel. The wrestling match would continue, and continue it did. The rivalry came to a head many years later when the boy's father was nearing death. What was the fight about? What it's always about. The inheritance, of course. Tale as old as time. Jacob, the secondborn, wanted the firstborn's portion and blessing, which meant a double portion of the inheritance and leadership over the family. But this was no ordinary family either, as said moments ago, and no ordinary inheritance. Not only had God promised great earthly blessing to the heir of Abraham and Isaac, he also promised that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would come from this line. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and eventually the Savior. A plan was concocted. In his old age, Isaac had become blind, and he would feel the arms of his two sons to know which was which. So Jacob disguised himself as his notoriously hairy older brother. He wrapped his own virtually hairless arms with goatskins to imitate his brother's hairy arms, and he went into his blind father and deceived him. The end-of-life blessing that should have gone to firstborn Esau went to Jacob instead, and that blessing was binding. Needless to say, Esau was livid, and he said with absolute sincerity that as soon as the time for mourning his father had passed, Jacob was a dead man. So Jacob fled, and many years went by. And Jacob learned many hard lessons, including what it feels like to be deceived and to be cheated. 
God was at work in Jacob's life, even through sins that others committed against him. Like a firm but loving father, God both disciplines Jacob and consoles him. And so too, God our Father is at work in your life and in mine. Sometimes looking back, we can see his fatherly hand quite plainly. And we can begin to see as well how he is working on us in the present. And therefore, we can entrust ourselves and our lives, no matter what they might look like, to him. As the years went by, Jacob became a very different kind of man than he was in his past. But of course, as the saying goes, you may be done with the past, but the past isn't done with you. Circumstances emerged such that Jacob had little choice but to return home. And returning home meant facing his brother and facing up to his actions, even though they had occurred all those years ago. What a prayer we find in Psalm 25 in today's intro it. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. In his book, The Problem of Pain, C.S. Lewis writes, We have a strange illusion that mere time cancels sin. I have heard others and I have heard myself recounting cruelties and falsehoods committed in boyhood as if they were no concern of the present speakers, and even with laughter. But mere time does nothing either to the fact or to the guilt of sin. The guilt is washed out not by time, but by repentance and the blood of Christ. If we have repented of these early sins, we should remember the price of our forgiveness and be humble. Perhaps a more apt description for Jacob, for you, for me, could not be given. Indeed, Lord, remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. The language of steadfast love is precisely the language of covenant and blessing that was given by God to Jacob in pure grace. It's the language of God's sin-atoning love, the gift of his own beloved son on the cross. The blood of God and man in one person shed in perfect and sinless and selfless love in order to blot out all the iniquities of Jacob, and along with them, your iniquities and my own. In short, steadfast love is Jesus, nailed steadfast to the cross, unwilling to come down before he has won full and free pardon for you, pardon for all your sins, no matter how horrifying, no matter how inexcusable, no matter how far back they go. The answer to a lifetime of sin is not time. The answer to a lifetime of sin is Jesus. For his sake, 
you are forgiven. And that is the promise of God, not of man. When Jesus bids us, sinners though we are, to take his cup and drink from it, it's precisely so that his blood would truly cleanse our consciences and fill us with the deepest kind of joy and peace. The kind of joy and peace that remain even if we weep and mourn over our sins. His steadfast love does not change. His cross is forever. His cup is for you. As often as you drink it, as often as you want it, forgiveness, hope, light, and peace. So as I was saying, circumstances arose such that Jacob would have to return to face his brother whom he had sinned against and the 400 armed men with him. Rightly so, Jacob was profoundly distressed and fearful. He does everything in his power to appease his brother, sending him gifts, showing humility. Finally, Jacob divides his own family in two and sends them off, hoping that if Esau takes revenge on one half, the other half may be spared. And that left Jacob all alone the night before he would be confronted by his brother and by his past. But God doesn't allow Jacob a good night's sleep, as is so often our Lord's way. Something much more important than sleep is needed. Prayer, and as it turns out, a wrestling match, and a blessing. All alone, Jacob is confronted, and a man wrestled him to the break of day. Stunning language when the man, who we find out later is God in human form, when this man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and his hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Let me go, the man said, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. And the man said, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with man and have prevailed. Luther tells us that Israel means God's fighter, that is, he who wrestles with God and wins. And it's here that we glimpse that the name Israel ultimately belongs not to Jacob nor even to the nation. These only point as types to the one to whom this name truly belongs, Our Lord Jesus on the cross contends with God and man in order to reconcile God and man forever. Jesus is the true Israel. What was Jacob's main fear in facing his brother? The root of Jacob's fear, of course, was his own sin and his own evil conscience. So in order to save him, God had to first meet him as an enemy. Only then, only by wrestling with God and clinging to him in faith and insisting that God show him mercy and grace and undeserved blessing, only after being absolved and blessed by God in human form, by Jesus, could he then face his brother and thus face also his own sins and the possible death of his family and himself. As Hosea says, Jacob strove and wept 
and sought God's favor. So this is yet another takeaway for us. When we are confronted with sins past and present, God will attack us until we wrestle back, pleading for forgiveness, for favor, and for blessing. We may recall yet another similarity with Jacob as well. He receives a new name. Just as Israel contains the name of God, El, baptism contains the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this name has been added to us. It is this name we remember in the midst of our spiritual wrestling. God is indeed our dear Father through baptism and we his dear children. This wrestling match that he is having with us is for our good. And what about Jacob's hip? Well, Jacob wasn't left unscathed. And in our own bodies, we often bear marks of wrestling with God. We are so accustomed to seeing spiritual things as one thing and physical things as another, as if the two have no correlation. But this is a rather modern perspective and far removed from the theology of the scriptures, the fathers, and the Lutheran reformers. God's wrestling with us may not be so literal as to take the form of his wrestling with Jacob, but it would be a mistake to say that God's wrestling with us is somehow neither literal nor physical, when of course it can obviously be both. Every affliction comes to us from God. This is why St. Paul can write, and we just heard, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Every affliction comes from God. And so it's a wrestling match that endures our whole lives and even beyond as we cling to the one who afflicts us all our days and cling to him even as we go into death itself, never letting go of him, insisting that he be gracious to us though we do not deserve it and forgive us though we do not deserve it and bless us though we do not deserve it. Because we know by faith, by his word, and by his cross, precisely who he is. How then does the story end? Our story ends with Jesus forgiving us and blessing us as the dawn of a new creation breaks. And the wrestling for a night becomes an everlasting embrace. The story of Jacob and Esau ends at dawn as well. The very next morning, Esau came toward Jacob with his 400 armed men. And as Jacob bowed in humility and trusting himself to God, Esau ran to him, embraced him, kissed him, and the two wept. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.